Well, good morning. I know I'm supposed to start the uh, sermon portion of today's worship right now, but I just want to say that I believe the Bible teaches us to honor men like Tim. I believe that we, we, we need to know that Tim had, loves God with his whole heart, and he loves you. He gave himself completely for this church. I believe, I, I, I know Tim may not be here. I know his kids are. But I just, if you know Tim, and you want to honor a person like Tim today, I just encourage you to put your hands together, and let's say thank you to Tim. You may be watching this later on, but let's say thank you to Tim with our hands. I can tell you this, and it might be the highest praise you can give anybody, Tim knew Jesus, and he loved him. Jesus changed Tim. He made him on fire for this church. May we have the same zeal for God's church as Tim. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'm the new guy here. But I can tell you this, that Tim is not alone in that. I see a group of people. I have been interacting in these last few weeks with multiple people. Your leaders, people that are small group leaders, people, maybe just people I'm saying hi to in the hallway. But I can tell you this. There is a difference here. People authentically love God, and they authentically love one another. There's a lot of people that have given themselves sacrificially for other people because of that love. So I'll say this, um, a lot of what I'm going to be saying today, a lot of you get. May God continue to draw us into that this morning as we open up his word, as we examine our hearts before him. Just mentioned that we're going to be opening up the word. The people are going to come down the aisles and they're going to have Bibles for you. But if you have your own Bible, I had to turn to Matthew chapter 5 today, Matthew chapter 5. And just uh, while they're coming, if you do not have a Bible, it's okay. Just put your hand up. Make sure they know that, that, hey, I need a Bible today. Put your hand up. Ask for a Bible. If you do not own a Bible, this morning we want you to take this Bible home and make it yours. A good place to start reading just may be the life and times of Jesus, if you will, according to the book of Matthew, a guy that walked with Jesus throughout his ministry it's a sweet thing to be able to approach you as a church, and I think as a church that gets God's mission and God's heart in a very good, sweet, authentic way. Before we actually open up to the book of Matthew, I'm going to just read something. It's, it's going to be on the screen behind me. I hope that you follow along with this. I'm going to actually pray this. I'm going to actually read this aloud. You can look at it and follow along and pray in your hearts this morning because I believe this is, this is ultimately God's heart for the world, and it's the heart that we as the church are to embody it's the heart that we're supposed to be about. So let's take some time and let's, as you're reading it, pray it. Don't just let some guy read up at the front. Pray in your heart along with me this morning as we open up, as we open up uh, this time of getting into God's word. Let's pray. May God, may you, God, be gracious to us. Give us what we don't deserve. Bless us. 
Make your face to shine on us, we pray. That your way, God, that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Lord God, let the peoples praise you, O God, for you alone are worthy. Let all peoples praise you. Heavenly Father, as we gather here as your people that have been given your mission to go to a world in need of you, that needs to know about you, that they may praise you both now and forever before you, Lord God, I pray that today you would just instill in us a passion, a passion for you, to love you. By your spirit, Lord God, move us to have a passion for you and a passion for the people that you love. And you love all the world, all the nations. You love the people of Muskoka. You love our friends and our family. You love our coworkers. You love the person that's hurting across the street. You love them and you want them to know your love. Heavenly Father, make us a people that are different. Make us a people that show your love to a world in desperate need of it. Lord, thank you that you want to do this. Lord, help us to open up our hearts to allow you to do it in us. Do this by your Spirit's power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever found yourself being a skeptic inside? I mean, I know we don't necessarily say this out loud, but I think that we all say this inside. Why should I believe you? Why should I take your word on this matter? Why should I trust what you're saying is reliable information? I think we do this on a regular basis. Some of you did this this morning when you're dropping off your kids in the nursery. Hmm, should I trust you? Yes, they have background checks and training to take care of children. They're trustworthy, right? They're trustworthy, and therefore we're willing to give them something that is precious to us, or I hope is precious to us. Amen? Trustworthiness. You can hear somebody say, hey, 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 I'm good at this, right? But do we always believe them right away? I can remember a time when I met this guy that said, hey, hey, you're, you're, you like hockey. My sport is basketball, and I'm good at basketball. I'm like, all right, I have no idea. You don't maybe strike me as the person that, that's all about basketball, but all right, okay, you're about basketball. Well, a few weeks later, he and I got to play basketball, okay? And when we were playing basketball, it became very evident very quickly that maybe he thinks he's good at basketball, and is it? My first hint was this, okay? And those who have seen basketball players, maybe you watch the Olympics in basketball, that's the only time you're going to watch basketball, but you see basketball players and they don't do this. You see what I'm doing? An open hand version of dribbling. They, they cradle it on either side, right? Well, this guy, the very first thing, I'm like, he's, I see him do this. He came early because he's like, I got some rust. I got to get off. All the guys are coming. I'm going I'm to shoot, right? And I'm like, oh no, like this could be bad. I'm like, well, maybe, give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he's just that guy that can shoot threes all day. Three-pointers all day. He can put them in. Maybe that's all he practices. He doesn't practice dribbling, all right? Well, soon he walks over and he grabs the ball, 
And he stands behind the three-point line and launches the ball. And when I say launches the ball, that's, that's what I mean. He launches the ball. It went three feet over top of the backboard, and it kept going up, all right? He launched the ball. I'm like, whoa, that doesn't quite add up, right? His second shot was three feet shy of the rim. Now, I'm not a great basketball player, but I can hit the rim every once in a while. And if I get lucky, it goes in, right? But I'm kind of computing in my mind, hmm, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have taken your word on being a good basketball player. Even crazier is later on that day, and actually several times later, he was giving people instructions as to how to play basketball correctly. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> is that the kind of person you want to learn basketball from? Now, by God's grace, he changed some of those things, and God worked in his heart. It's sweet. But I'll say this. Is that the person you want to learn basketball from? No, in the same way, when we want to get fit, right, we want to get strong, we don't go to the couch potato, right? We don't go, hey, hey, what are you doing? I should do that. No, no, we go to the person who's jacked or completely fit, and you're like, what are you doing to get strong? How are you doing it to get strong? What do you eat to look like that? right? That's what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody who's reliable. In the same way, you're not going to take your hard-earned cash after you've been saving up for months for an engagement ring, and then you're going to go to the back alley with all this cash. Be like, hey, can I buy a ring off of you? Why? Because that's not a reliable source. You want to go to a place where you know they have a reputation of, of, of giving out good rings, good diamonds, not fake ones. Not bad ones, right? You guys with me? We do this all the time. We inspect, should I take your word for it on a regular basis? On the other side of this, if we are a person that, say, say you have an illness. Say you're sick. Maybe some of you are. Okay? When you hear of somebody else that has been cured or made well from your illness... What do you want? You want to know how they got better. Who was their doctor? What was the prescription, right? You want to know what do they know that I don't know? What, do, how, what have they done to be made well? Like I need to be made well. Church, we know the healer. His name is Jesus Christ. But why would they believe our message of hope in the name of Jesus Christ, of healing in the name of Jesus Christ. Why should they believe? What I'm getting at here is this. What proof do we have to offer? In the old school way of saying this, like back in Jesus' time, they'd be like, you can tell a tree by its fruit. And you're like, what? Maybe let's, let's bring it to our century, okay? The proof is in the pudding. Now, I have no idea how to make pudding, okay? I haven't a clue. You're like, John, make pudding. All right, well, what do I do? I know sugar's in there somewhere because it tastes good, right? The proof is in the pudding. How, how do you know when you got a good pudding? I, I don't know anything about pudding, but I do know when a pudding tastes good, don't I? Maybe you're in the same boat as me. You know when a pudding is good by its 
taste. What I'm getting at and where I want to go this morning is this. When people look at us collectively, when people see us, do they recognize us as a good kind of different? Do they enjoy the taste of the pudding, so to speak? Do we stand out in a good kind of way? The Bible uses language about Christians and about the church over and over again that affirms this is the way we're supposed to be. Here's some Christian language here for you that I'm going to break down. The Bible says we're to be a sanctified people. What does that mean? We're to be a people that are growing to be more and more different, more and more like Jesus. The Bible also says that we are to be a righteous people. What does that mean? A right living people. People that live like Jesus lived in the right way. It calls us a holy people. What does that mean? It means we are a set apart, different in a good way kind of people. We are a good kind of different People over and over and over again in the Word of God, it addresses Christians like this. In fact, the Bible would go even further. It says, hey, 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 you believe in Jesus? You claim to have faith in Jesus? You, you know Jesus? Well, here's the deal. You can't know Jesus and stay the same. You can't be a follower of Jesus and look no different than you used to look. By the very definition of being a person that has faith in Jesus, that changes something. Why? Well, what are we having faith in? We have faith that Jesus is God. And Jesus lived to show us the right way to live. And he died so that we can die to the old way to live and be made alive in the new way to live and to follow him. And he rose to prove that we are now alive to live for him. And guess what he did after that? He ascended to heaven. He went to heaven in order to send us his spirit to dwell in us. To encourage that change in us. To change our hearts. To, to move us more and more and more to, to be effective in following Jesus' way. To learn his way more and more. To become more and more like him. You see it? You see it? You can't follow Jesus and remain the same. This is where the idea of repentance comes in. It's another church word. It means a change of my mind, okay, that results in a change of direction. In other words, before, my way's right, and I'm walking in my way. But I've had a change of mind. My way is completely wrong. Jesus' way is right. And therefore, now Jesus' way is right. See, my mind has changed. Now I am, by definition, as I repent, I am changing the way that I live or the direction in which I walk. You see, to accept Christ demands that we walk differently. Now hear me. Hear me right Though, though the contrast is painted as we've passed from death and now we are alive to live in Christ, that does not mean that we're going to be perfect. I'll say that again. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. You guys with me on that? I am not perfect. Confession hour, you're like, duh. 
right? You're not perfect, but the difference is happening. We are being made more and more like Jesus. We are no longer the same. Why? 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 Because I know Jesus. And he's changing me. His spirit is working in me. And I am no longer the same. I know Jesus. The Bible talks a lot about this contrast all throughout the New Testament. But I believe Jesus paints this contrast very clearly in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, He's on the side of a hill and he's giving a lesson. It's found in, in Matthew 5 verse 7. So may, turn your Bibles. We're going to go through the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount. If you will, the introduction to all of these radically different ways that we are supposed to live as followers of Jesus In Matthew chapter 5, I hope that you see clearly this contrast because Jesus right away is hitting on a contrast. All right? The fact that we're supposed to be different. Verse 1. Seeing the crowds. Who's there? A bunch of people. There's a lot of people following Jesus. But there's a distinction between them and another group of people we're going to hear about. He went up on the mountain. Okay, so seeing the crowds, he goes up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples, you see, it's a different, these are people that are patterning themselves after Jesus. These are followers of Jesus' way. His disciples came to him. This became his target audience as he's sharing the Sermon on the Mount. These are the people that he is addressing what he's about to say to. It's very important. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed or blessed. And that's kind of like old school language. If I was to break it down for you, as he's sharing these beatitudes, it's kind of like, if you will, the be happy attitudes or the how to be happy attitudes. I would suggest that these attitudes that he is suggesting to these people are radically different. This is a pep talk of how to be happy that you're never going to hear in some kind of self-help situation in this world. Or you're never going to hear on the commercial. This is how you're going to be happy. You ready for this? Every time you see blessed, let's let's put happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. What? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's that word again. Right living. For they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy, this is where it starts getting even crazier. Happy are those who are persecuted. You're not going to hear this pep talk in the world, right? This is very, very different. Happy are those who are persecuted for right living's sake, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see why? Happy are you when others revile you. Whoa. They hate you. When they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, on Jesus' account. Rejoice. There it is again. This concept. Be ha- Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And by the way, they go on to persecute Jesus in the exact same way. For having those attitudes, for being radically different. 
okay, for being right living, not wrong living. They would persecute Jesus. In fact, they'd put him to death because he was so radically different. This message is, is crazy. It's weird. It, this is not something you are going to hear. It's certainly not something that, that, that the world is going to sell to you. But what, what is he saying? He's saying, despite your circumstances, even though it could be rough, even though you're mourning now, you have a reason to be happy. you got a comforter, and you got a great place that you are going. Disciple, Christian, you can be happy because even though you're passing away in this world, guess what? You're going to heaven. Some people are happy. You're going to heaven. And that's a good thing. And so you can keep on keeping on. But then the text I want to focus on today also talks about something very radical. It's verses 13 through 16. We're going to walk through this verse by verse. I hope you'll follow along with me in the word. And I hope you'll read it and try to understand it as we go through it together. You, verse 13, you, who's you? You, follower of Jesus' way, you, disciple, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste or its saltiness, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lesson on this message before. Some of you have, have maybe never heard this before. Some of you have heard this a thousand times. But I'm telling you, I have heard it presented in all kinds of different fashions. I think it's understandable as to why, because when we start talking about salt, and we live in 2016, we think of salt as, as one-dimensional. We go to the grocery store, right? And what do you do? You find the aisle, once you can find the sign, it says salt, and you're like, oh, I got salt. I walk down the aisle. All right, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And I find salt, and it has, says salt on the box. And I know that I can take their word for it, because if it wasn't salt, they'd get sued right? That company wouldn't exist very long, and it certainly would have made it all the way to the shelves in the stores that we're buying it from. We know that I can add this salt to the water and gargle it in my mouth, and it's going to help the sore that's in my mouth, right? I know I can take this salt and apply it to meat to preserve it. I know I can take this salt, and I can put it on my vegetables to make them taste good. You know what I'm saying? We go, we go, salt, yes, salt doesn't lose its saltiness. Salt is good. Yeah, that's all we know salt has. But, but how, what's this concept of losing its saltiness? Well, it has everything to do with being in the first century, not being, you know, in our century. The first century, Jew got its salt from harvesting it around the Dead Sea. Okay? The Dead Sea is a body of water that's notorious for being salty. And, and the salt would, would come on the shores and people would harvest it. And there were two different kinds of salt. Actually, there are multiple different kinds of salt. But there was a good salt and there was a bad salt. And it was distinguished by one factor. Okay? The good salt was pure. It would never, ever lose its saltiness. It was the expensive stuff in the market. It had proven to be true, good Salt. It was useful, therefore, for healing, for preserving. It was useful for making things taste better, just like it is today. All right? And then you had the bad kind of salt. The salt that was mixed in with other things. It looked the same, but it was, it was different. How was it different? As soon as it was exposed to the elements, it would start to lose its taste. 
It eventually wouldn't be salty at all. It's no good for all the healing, for making things taste better. It's not good for any of that thing. Why? Because really, it's not good salt. It's not salt at all. And so what they did with this salt is they threw it out naturally. The only other thing that you do, because it's just like dirt, you throw it on the ground, the only other use that it had would be to throw it along the sides of the pass to kill the weeds where it would then be trampled by men. Okay, you see, we want when we don't we hear this, we go, what's talking about? But when you're sitting there listening to Jesus, you're like, I know exactly what you're saying. Be the good salt, be something that is part of the healing, part of making this world better tasting. Be good, not bad. Makes sense. Okay, let's move on. All right. Then what does he say? It has everything to do with what he just said. He says this in verse 14. Hey, hey, you are the light of the world. Today we get this. Light is good. Darkness is bad. We use the same kind of illustration. Back then, he's saying, hey, you're the light of the world. And and the person that's hearing this has also probably heard Jesus say, hey, I'm the light of the world. But now he's saying to those who are patterning themselves after him, hey, 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 you're the light of the world. In other words, you are the good in the world. You are the healing agent. You are the preservative. You are the thing that makes the world taste better. You're the good in the world. Okay. I'm reading your mail, Jesus. I'm getting it. Okay. I'm the good in the world. All right. I am, by definition, because I follow you, because I have a relationship with you, I am different from the world. I am the real salt. Not the fake stuff. That's just common dirt. I am the light. I am good. I am not the darkness. And then it goes into this. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Another illustration that we understand. When we drive around at night, we can not even see a building, but we can tell where a city is just by the glow in the dark. You know what I'm talking about? You can see the glow above the city. All right. Now, if you put that city on a hill, that city is going to be obvious. Is it not? In the same way, when the first century Jewish guy's just walking along on the path, when he sees a city lit up, he's going to be like, there's a city. Right? The city is obvious. The light is obvious. You are going to be spotted, in other words. If you follow Jesus' way, if you follow those attitudes, surely, that he was talking about before, people are going to see that you are a different kind of person. You are a Jesus kind of different. Why? Because we know him, because we're following his way, because he has given us his spirit and empowered us to be different. The city on a hill is obvious. If you are light, you will be noticed. People will take note. Verse 15 Keeps going with this concept. Nor do people light a lamp and put it underneath a basket. Right? They're thinking, duh. Instead, they put it on a stand, usually in the corner of the room, and it gives light to all in the house. What does this mean? This is the same for us. I have a buddy. He's coming over to help me. I've purchased pot lights. I'm going to put them in my house. Right? And we're going to get up in the attic and we're going to wire these pot lights and we're going to do something that's key to making the point of having pot lights worthwhile. The point of spending the money on the pot lights is this we cut holes in the top of the ceiling so the light shines through, right? We don't get up, we don't go around and, and get all dirty and gross in the attic in order, in order to just wire pot lights and leave them up there. 
That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? We would never, ever do that. we got to cut holes so the light can shine through the living room. That's the point of the light. In the same way, back then, if they're going to spend the money on the oil and they're going to light it up, they're not going to put it under a bowl. That would be stupidity to them. They're like, duh, Jesus. The point of light is to shine. Light, by definition, the reason why we make light is the purpose of shining. You don't carry a flashlight to not shine it in the dark, right? That's the point of the light. If you are light, you shine, period. In the same way, okay, because you shine, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that really important so that what's the purpose of shining so that they may see your good works now you're sitting there thinking okay i get it a light's supposed to shine it's supposed to show itself different a jesus kind of different but you need to you need to understand something because sometimes i think we 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 do this wrong when he says let your light shine before others i do not want to hear you think this I don't want you to take Jesus' thoughts and apply it this way. Hey, hey, look how good I am. I am a light. I am shining. I helped the old lady across the street. Right? Or I helped that family going through something. Look how good I am. Why can I say that? Because Jesus was extremely hard on the religious people of that day for doing that very thing. Say, hey, wait, when you're doing good, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, it's not meant to be paraded around. But the same, same sentence here, Jesus is saying, hey, hey, you're going to be different if you follow me. So be different. You're not to go around trumpeting how good you are. This is not about you. But what he's saying is, if you follow after my pattern, if you are light in this world, be assured of this, people will take notice of your good works, of your different kind of good ways. What's the result? People will see these good works, this different kind of good, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, when they see Jesus' goodness in you, when they see the contrast from themselves, they're going to acknowledge, hey, hey, they have something I don't have. They have the one true God working in and through them. See, when we are different, God gets the props, not us. When we are different, I got no business saying, hey, look at how cool I am. I'm light. No, Jesus is the light. I'm just reflecting him. I am in contrast to the world because Jesus is making me in contrast to the world. And when the world sees that you are different, they're going to recognize God's touch on your life. If you think about it, the world is not like us. I'm going to say that again. The world is not like us. When it mourns, its goal is numbing it. When we mourn, we mourn as those who have hope. Why? Because of Jesus. We mourn as those who are comforted by God. Why? Because he sent his Holy Spirit to be a comforter for us in this life. We're different. When we suffer, we're not suffering as people that are, that are, that are like 
oh, I hate suffering. Get me away from it. No, rather we are suffering as people that recognize that God is not going to waste that suffering in my life. And he is going to help me through it. And guess what? The ultimate destination is great. I can keep pressing on through this short-term hardship because I have long-term sweetness with my God in heaven where there is no more pain. Do you see it? We don't experience pain as the world experiences pain. We don't even experience weakness as the world experiences weakness because our strength is not our own. When we feel weak, we find our strength in Jesus' example and his spirit that lives in us. The world's not like us. The world doesn't have what you have. You have healing in Jesus. And guess what? Whether it says it or not, the world is looking for it. They're searching for it. They want to know, can I trust what you're saying? Are you different? Sometimes we hear the, 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 the questions from the world and we go, we got to have all the apologetic answers. We got to have all these defense, proper arguments for the skeptic in the world. And I got to tell you, I've given, I've given a lot of my life to that way of thinking. I went through my master's for apologetics, which is the concept of defending the faith with good answers. And they need those answers. But what I'm saying is they're not going to listen to your answers if they can't tell that you are authentically different than them. They want to see that this information that you're sharing has changed your life. They want to know, hey, hey, if you claim to know this healer, are you being made well by him? Are you authentically different? That's the most powerful answer to the skeptic that exists in all of us. See, the Bible supports this over and over again, that our difference is our proof. It says, it says the Spirit is our witness. And in fact, the Spirit's power was the evidence that set the early church apart. Like, man, the Spirit is moving. Something that I can't explain is happening amongst these people. And that was the witness that set them apart as the church got its start. It still should set us apart. The right living is supposed to be an example to people that we have the right way. According to Philippians 2, according to 1 Peter 2, over and over throughout the scriptures, our right living is a testimony that we have the right way. In John 13, we're told that we are supposed to be identified by our different kind of love. In other words, your love is to be different than the world. It isn't about you. It's about giving yourself up for another person. That is radically different than the world's advertising of what love is about. You have a different kind of love. So people will take notice. Jesus, all right, in John 17, he's about to go to the cross and he offers this public prayer right before going to the cross. And he's going to pray for you and me, disciple of Jesus. He's going to pray for his church that's going to come along years later. And what does he pray for them? He doesn't pray that they have a ton of people. He doesn't pray that they have life easy. No, he prays that they would be united in such a way that the world would know there is something different about these people, that we know him. So again, our unity our love, our right living, our Holy Spirit power, these are all things that should be testament, that should be proof in the pudding, so to speak, that we know Jesus and we are being made well by our healer. 
We are being made well. We are now different. You see, when we are salt and light, people will see God's touch. And then they'll be willing to listen. Okay, something different about this group of people. And I see that here. There's something different about this body, this group of people, and the way they love people, the way they care for each other, the way they live in unity in these things called small groups. What is different about these people? I want to know. I want to know what they know. Now, i got to say, this, you got to hear me right here. This isn't a promise. The Bible does not promise that you're going to be perfect. In fact, 1 John is written to believers, and in 1 John it says, hey, hey, if any of you claims to be without sin, you're lying. The truth's not in you. In other words, Christian, we're going to mess up. I mess up all the time. Even this morning, I'm confessing sin to my God. I mess up. I'm not perfect. Neither are you. But we are on a prog- progression towards being more like Jesus' path. He is teaching us. He is leading us in this way. He does not promise to us that this is going to be something that, that, that has instant success either. You're like, okay, we're salt and light. Everybody should be like, this place should be like, like everybody in Bracebridge, everybody in Perry Sound, everybody in all of Muskoka needs to be here right now because we're doing salt and light, right? No, what Jesus says is actually they rejected me. What makes you think they're not going to reject you? First John, the, the light has shined, but people didn't like it. They didn't understand it. They rejected it. In the same way, we can't expect that they're not going to reject us. In fact, Jesus, when he's telling us, hey, you're going to go around and you're going to spread the good news of Jesus like seed. He he says most of it isn't going to fall on soil that is going to accept it. When When you express the good news of Jesus Christ, just because you're different doesn't mean you're going to have instant success. The Bible's not promising that you're going to be perfect. The Bible's not promising instant success. It's also not promising an easy life. In fact, if you go back to verse 12 of chapter 5, it says, hey, 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 things are going to stink in verse 11, verse 12, but, 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 it's a good news that's coming, right? But in the, in the meantime, people are going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to say all kinds of evil about you over and over again. We're, we're warned in this way. Hey, 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 the Christian life is not the easy life, but it's the best life. So take up your cross and follow me. Abandon all and follow me. It's not an easy kind of message. It's not an easy kind of way of living, but I'm telling you, it is a worthwhile kind of way. Why? Why can I say that? Because the Bible may not promise perfection or instant success or easy living, but it does promise something. It does promise, hey, when you fall down, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to make you clean. And he picks you back up and sends you back out on mission. You're going to fall over and over and over again. But you have a God that will forgive you as well. And he'll pick you up and put you back out on the trail. We have, we have this promise. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, we might not have instant success, but we have Jesus with us. He's going to work in us. He's going to teach us how to follow him well. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And we have this promise. It's the promise at the end. Is sweet. It's the promise that's repeated over and over again in the Beatitudes. Things are going to be tough. 
Life is going to be tough. But let me tell you this. The end is beyond your wildest imagination. The end is sweeter than you could ever imagine. Why? Because you've never, ever, ever experienced perfection. And guess what? In Jesus' presence forever in the kingdom of God, it will finally be perfect. You will finally be perfect. That's the good news. In this process, it's difficult to be salt and light. The world doesn't always like it, and it's a difficult path to take. But in the end, it's good. In the end, it's right. So press on. Remain with him. Remain with us. Be salt and light. It's eternally worth it. I would suggest that if we aren't salt and light, people might miss the healer, Jesus the Christ couple questions for you as you go. Actually, three. Do you know Jesus? Could have been up here talking about how Jesus makes you well. You're like, I don't really know him. I don't understand how to be saved by, by Jesus. That, that concept is new to me. What I ask you to do is this. Come up after. Talk to our leaders at the front here and ask them. You don't have to come to Jesus right now if you want to. We praise God for that. But ask the question. Get answers. Second question. Do you know what it's like to hang out with Jesus? Are you hanging out with Jesus? And in the process of being hang, hanging out with Jesus, are you becoming more like Jesus? You're sitting there going, I don't know how to hang out with Jesus. How do you do that? We want you to come up and talk to the leaders for a church who want to lead you and guide you in this. Third question, are you a part, are you united in a radical way with a group of people that is encouraging you to be salt and light, that is encouraging you to be on mission in this world in desperate need? If not, we want you to email us. Email me. We want you to join a group of people that are going to sharpen each other, that are going to encourage one another to be salt and light in this difficult world to be salt and light. That are going to encourage each other to be on mission, to not waste our time going after other things. If you're not a part of that, we encourage you, please join us. Join a community. Join a small group. And then this. If you're part of a small group, maybe you don't think is actually encouraging that. Be the catalyst for change. Not by, hey, I'm better than you, change to be my way, but rather encourage them, build them up to be salt and light and to be on mission in this world. I'm telling you, it's eternally worth it. And it might make the eternal difference in somebody's life. In conclusion, why should I believe you? Not because I'm perfect, but because Jesus is making me different. Let's not let our witness be ignored because the proof isn't in the pudding. Let's go together and strive as one to be salt and light. Let's pray. Our Father, God, be gracious to us. Let your face shine upon us. Make us salt and light that the world that all the nations, that all the peoples would praise you, both in this world and in eternity to come. That you might get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise that you are due. Lord, change us. 
Lord, as we draw near to you, purify us. Lord, help us to be a salt and light that lifts your name high so that many might believe the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we sincerely, we authentically ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.